I'm plain Toby Haydock, though some of you will insist on calling me the Toby Haydock of Who's Round's Eve. In a fortnight, it's my second actor who has covered a theatrical night playing King Lear, and this one's written about it, which we'll talk about shortly. But first, I must ask him to tell me who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Uh, my, my name is David Weston, uh, and I've been in Doctor Who twice. I was in the original series with William Hartnell in um, the St. Bartholomew Massacre, and then many years later, I was with Tom Baker in... Um, Warrior's Gate. Warrior's Gate, playing a sort of half lion, half man. Birok, I think I was called. So let's let's go back to the 60s first. And you were the sort of juvenile lead of the massacre. Yes, I was. I was playing lots of juveniles in those days. I'd just done um, Dick Turpin for Walt Disney in Mask of the Red Death. I, I specialised in swashbuckling roles. you never believe it now. And, um, yeah, and you see, nowadays... It's got this wonderful reputation, Doctor Who, but then yeah, I thought it was a bit of a come down doing it. I mean, and people say, when you're doing Doctor Who, it, it, it really grew over the years in, in its uh, way people looked upon it. Uh, and it's funny to say that because the massacre is now seen as one of the great lost classics of Who. Yeah. It's got quite a literate script, it's, a, it's about religious intolerance and a a little-known historical period? Yeah, yes, it has. It has. Um, um, they, they put together a soundtrack, which I introduced. <laughs> they came to the National Theatre, these two young men, uh, after I'd done it before matinee, and I, uh, they recorded me in the um, rehearsal studio. And, and I look as though I'm drunk, because <laughs> I half my makeup on. I've, God, I looked, I looked old that day. But, um, yes, they, they, they put together the, the story anyway. Sad, one of the sad things in that, there was a, a lovely ma- actor I used to know called Buddy Justice. Mm. He, was the grand ne- he was the nephew of, of, of James Robertson Justice, and he played the young French king. And he was, you know, you see, acting is a, is a, is a very, very sad profession. I mean, so many people enter it, and you think, why? Some, some, a few, very few succeed, but most of them fall by the wayside. There's no real reason. And, and poor Barry um, committed suicide. So, so very, there's very few people of that um, that particular story left. Uh, and was that because was he struggling for work then? I, I think so. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Sure, he's very good in. He's only in the one yeah, episode. No, he, he makes yeah, a heck of an yeah. impression. It's yeah, great he, he, he was a very good actor. He was a very good actor. He he did. Um, he played opposite um, Redgrave in the West End. I think in Voyage Around My Father. Oh, so. You've got some senior guest actors there because we talked about it being a come down, but it did, didn't have to attract some good actors like Andre Morel and Leonard Sachs. Yeah, yes, Leonard Sachs, who was very famous at the time because he used to do the um, old time musical every Friday night, and he was famous for playing the, uh, the chairman. And he was married to a lady called Eleanor Summerfield. And he told me that Eleanor Summerfield was the only girl that had turned down Richard Burton. Oh, and I think, and I think, and, and yes, and it's ironic because I think that his son ended up with Mrs. Peter O'Toole, um, Sean Phillips for a time. Some good stock being mixed. Yeah, good, good stock being stock. mixed. There, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. 
and uh, Morel was, uh, was very highly regarded. Oh, he was a very yes, a very heavy, very sort of um, serious. Uh, he played big. He played time in of Athens at the Old Vic, and in, in when Olivier started Chichester in, in that first season, he was um, in Uncle Vanya. He was, he was one of the you know, one of the mainstays of Olivier's first season. At Chichester, he was married to Joan Greenwood, who was a very distinguished actress with mm. a very distinctive voice. <laughs> and what about Mr. Hartnell himself, the doctor? Well, he was around. I mean, I must say, I found him an old sourpuss. I, I, I didn't really have much to do with him. All my scenes were with Peter Purvis, uh, but all, I just, all my only encounter with him was one day. I, I'm, I always like reading the sport pages of the paper, and his Times was there, and I picked it up and read it, and he was very angry because I hadn't put it back in the right place or the right I'd folded it differently so we, we didn't get on very well but that, that was the only thing I can remember I've uh, the thing I can remember about him and were you doing much to, did you work like with say Paddy Russell the director before uh, yes I I I'd, I'd done a um, in those days you see they used to do a, a classic series every every Sunday afternoon and I'd done um, Harris of Garth as five part six part series some obscure novel but it was based about I think the, the book was by Stanley Wayman called Ovington's Bank but they called it The Harris of Garth and there was me and June Ritchie were in that and um, and then I'd also done another classic series with her I'd done um, uh, Pierre Gorio um, which you know a, a Balzac novel so I, I worked with her yeah in, in those days you see the, the, B, the, the directors were at the BBC for a they were there, and you got international reps, and they used you again and again. So that was, you know, the casting directors weren't around those. It was the directors always used you because they knew you much better. <laughs> uh, yes, well, it's interesting though because um, reading your books as well, you, 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 your politics seems slightly more right wing than a lot of um, the traditional image of an actor, if that makes sense. Uh, and the reason I ask that question is because most of the people. I've interviewed about this mourn the loss of the BBC in its in its way, which is a very um, understandable if it comes from that. Oh well, talent needs to be nurtured, and we need to have uh, an environment for apprenticeships and things like that. But the other side of that is that the BBC needed to be more um, commercial in terms of quality rising to the top and making stuff that people wanted. So I'm particularly interested to see where you would stand on that. Well, you see, the, if you were in the BBC, it was, you were very, very lucky. You know, it was wonderful. It was a wonderful thing to be in. And you used to go into the... Um, you see, even if you had a small part in television, like, you'd, you'd have two weeks, three weeks rehearsal. You'd go in each day, and then you'd do two days, three days in the studio, and then you'd go into the club and have a party at the end of it. And you'd wander... And each day when you were at the BBC, you'd go up to the club and you'd circulate and you'd see directors you knew and you could get... You know, they would... Rem they, you would remind them of your existence. A lot of actors got their work straight from the BBC club, and it was a, like a, it was like a, as I said, if, if you were in, you were very, very lucky. And um, I feel so sorry for the young actors now because they don't get that. They, they, if, if they have a job on television, they're out in two days. They don't, they don't meet other actors. They don't get feel being part of the production. And I think so much of acting is, is tradition and stories and passing things on and telling them about that that doesn't seem to be um, so popular these days. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm split down the middle of what, what you say. I, I, I think, you know, 
Yes, it, it, it was. A, it was. A, it was too safe, and it was a you know, closed shop. But on the other hand, it was a lovely closed shop if you were in it. And you'd um, been to Alain School, which mm. has a theatrical. So was it preordained that you were going to be an actor? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, you see, Alain School only started really with Michael Croft. It was founded by Edward Alain, the great actor. There, there was no, there was no real acting tradition until Michael Croft came in in the in about 1950 and he started doing the school plays and um, he he was so lucky or that there were these there that Julian Glover was the first you know, to become an actor the, the the greatest of all was John Stride he was a marvellous actor and and then there was Ken Farrington and um, Richard Hampton Colin Farrell not the original Colin Farrell not Cole Farrell and um, we did the school plays and we all went to RADA and we found the National Youth Theatre with Michael Croft. I would never have been an actor. My family had a fish and chip shop in Brixton Market. And if it hadn't been for Croft, I'd be frying chips to this day. And you would never, because we talked about the, the, the juvenile lead in um, The Massacre and you'd done Dick Turpin. You also, uh, I mean, uh, I've quite a very nice part with Kurt Douglas in The Heroes of Telemark. Yeah, yeah I, I, you see, I have a strange career. Mo, mo, most actors, that they, they do theatre, then they do television, and then they do films. Like, in the 60s, I did 20 movies. I, I mean, I played opposite Richard Burton and Peter O'Toole in Beckett. And uh, uh, I, I did Mask of the Red Death, which is, a, well, like they always say, one of the classic horror films of Vincent Price. I did one with Lon Chaney. And then in 1967, I went to Stratford, and since then I've never, I've, ne- I've never, I've never been in films again. Really, since. In fact, it's funny enough. I, I was offered Hal Wallace offered me a seven-year contract, which I it, it, it didn't sound. It wasn't as good as it sounds, but I, I I didn't take it, and I've always said, oh, I should have taken that Hal Wallace contract. Well, my wife said, if I'd have taken the, the Hal Wallace Hollywood contract in 1964, I would be dead now. <laughs> And so, when you went to Stratford, did you did you start? Had you did you turn a lot of things down and gradually, you know, those avenues closed off, or did you? Was it deliberate, or did it just happen by osmosis? You can't really say how your career is going to go. It's just luck. You just like you just really take what comes. And um, as I said, when when I when I came out of Stratford after two years in in the sixties. All the, people, the parts that I used to be playing, I was too old for those. And, and it's, you step off the, the roundabout mm-hmm. and you, it's very hard to get back on. And so ever since then, I've done mostly theatre. But on the other hand, I've, I've gone on for 50 years, so I can't complain. And a lot of Shakespeare. I mean, you had, yeah, I've been in 29 of Shakespeare's 37 plays. And, and you also did Shakespeare on screen. You were um, uh, 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 um, in The Winter's Tale... Is that right? Was that of a stage production? Yeah, it was, yeah, that was a stage production we did at the Edinburgh Festival. It's not a very good film. What, what, am I right in thinking that the bear that you exit pursued by was played by future Doctor Who Tom Baker? Exactly, that's when I first met Tom. Um, he had been married to Harry Wheatcroft's daughter, mm-hmm. the rose grower. He'd met her when he was at Rose Bruford, and uh, he, he just left her, and this was his first... Th- he was his, the first thing he did after... Um, coming back into the into the business he played the bear and he also played uh, this very camp gentleman in the scene towards the end there's a scene in the winter's tale three gentlemen meet and discuss the statue mm-hmm. and he did it as a very very camp gentleman wearing hardly anything but a g-string a leather jock strap rather and he and he was very very funny 
that, that, that was and I could always remember him I was playing Florizel in, 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 in the they have this wonderful scene the dance the sheep shearing scene which had a great big dance and I can always see his hard boiled eggs eyes doing the dance um, and then of course I, I met him later Ten years, I don't know, longer, yeah, longer. Thirteen years later. Thirteen years Doctor later. Who. Doctor Who, yes. So how did that one come about? Warriors Gate. I, I don't. I think the I think the the director who I, I liked um, had seen me in something. Um, it was very because it was very. It seemed we didn't know what we were doing because there was all this. You know, we were filming without any scenery, and, and nowadays they, they people are used to it. But that was one the first times it was ever done, and. Um, it, it, it seemed a bit of a mess at the time, I must admit. Well, it's a, it's a notoriously troubled production. Mm. Paul mm. Joyce never did Doctor Who again. No. Um, I don't think he did much work after that, did not, he? No. He was a nice man. Um, and he was trying to, I think, stretch the boundaries of what you did mm. with mm. multi-camera mm. television. Mm. Um, mm. And as a result, mm. everything took a lot longer than yeah. it should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you were playing a sort of space lion. Yeah, I can, I can remember that because... I had so much makeup. I never got to my 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 lunch breaks and my food breaks in. I was always in the makeup, and I got my overtime was as much as my fee. <laughs> so I was rather pleased about that <laughs> because of the unique way the BBC is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, that had you you must have um, the main villain in that was. Um, Clifford Rose, who you must have sparred oh, with the RSC. Oh, I, I was at RSC many times, yes. I, I was with both times. Every, oh, I've been five summers at the RSC, and at least two of them. Clifford was there. We, we did um, Macbeth before Schofield in 1967, which we took to Russia. Uh, 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 um, um, Clifford was playing Duncan, I remember. And then when I was there in the 90s, he was playing Antonio in The Merchant of Venice. Yeah, Very nice. Very, very... Clifford's one of the gentlemen. He has been in every Shakespeare play but one. I've never quite forgotten... I've forgotten which one he, one he hasn't been in. It's probably Titus Andronicus. Well, he must do it. He, he must do it, yeah, yes. He's a fine actor. <laughs> fine actor, fine actor, yes, yes. And... Um, how was because your dynamic with Tom was obviously changed because you were, um, uh, you know, he was very much players cast. I guess in exactly. The exactly. Tale, yes, he was yes, the yes, star yes. in Doctor Who. Uh, it was very funny because uh, I remember that because on 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 the I mean there was about eight of us dressed up as these lion men. I mean there was me and there was one other guy who had a part, but the rest of them were just more or less extras. And on on the, on the floor, one of the f- cam one of the floor managers. Shout at me, get out of the way. And I can remember Tom saying, Don't you talk to Mr. Weston like that, he's a very distinguished actor. <laughs> well, that's nice, nice bit of solidarity. Because mm-hmm. um, he was, it was towards the end of his tenure, and I think he was having yes. quite a difficult time. He was getting show. bored with it, yes, yes. And he was also, he was also having this sort of relationship with um, the girl, Lana Ward. Lana yeah. Ward, yes, 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 yes. So that was a bit tense, I think. But, um, no, and there was there was a Kenneth Cope. Mm. He, he, he is a Jack the Lad, was in it. No, I, that was that was a, a, a very good cast, very big cast again. I mean, as you say, distinguished actors. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, and of course, uh, Tom Baker and um, William Hartnell aren't the only doctors you've worked with because you did a long tour of 
King Lear mm-hmm. with uh, Sylvester McCoy playing the fool. Yes, 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 yes. Well, you see, it's funny because um, I, I, I've only done one or two of these um, Doctor Who conventions. conventions, but Sylvester seemed to find them <laughs> all over the place. Um, I, I write about it in the book. We go to one in one in New Zealand, and we go to one in. Um, in, in Melbourne, no, he, he, yes, he, they, they everywhere. He, he, he's one of the classic Doctor Who's. He tells me. Ah. <laughs> but it's interesting how, because the book for those who haven't read it, and I would advise that they do, uh, is called Covering McKellen, and it is your chronicle of you doing what a, a previous podcaster, as I alluded to before, is covering a theatrical night, playing King Lear whilst being in the show yeah. yourself. And um, it's interesting, when Sylvester first comes in and starts playing the spoons, you are quite askance of that. And by the end of it, you, you, are, you are very complimentary about his performance. Yeah, yes, very yeah. difficult part, the you fool, see, isn't it? Yes, oh yes. Um, um, you see, when you, when you write a thing like, a book like that, you know, you, I wouldn't want to do anything to harm anybody's reputation, but I, want, I try to be honest. And, and and he did take a long time playing those spoons. <laughs> I mean, every every time there seemed to be an opportunity, Sylvester would play the, play the spoons, and I thought it did hold up the production. Uh, uh, but by the end of the, you know, he, he he was he was he was splendid. The the fun the funny th- one of the funniest things was that um, we played in repertoire with um, with the cherry orchard, mm-hmm. no, the cigar back in and there was one night you see the fool disappears you know in King Lear then there's a theory that um, originally it was it was doubled with Cordelia because they're never on stage at the same time anyway well you know Sylvester used to have to wait about an hour and a half every evening and, and in, in, in one night in New York uh, he, he, he wandered into the bar next door as, as, as he's perfectly entitled to his finish with his performance for the evening but he missed the curtain call you see so the next night, we're, we're, we're doing the seagull curtain call, and suddenly in the middle of the row, there's this strange person you've never seen before. And Sylvester had got dressed up as a Russian peasant and, and had come on for the curtain call to make up for the curtain, to make, to make up for the one he'd missed the night before. Oh, bless him. Bless him. And there was another funny thing was when we went to the... Um, when we went to the, had to go to America. We had to get our uh, visas at the American embassy, and now all the security—they're all asking all these questions. We're waiting there for hours and hours and hours. And Sylvester, I wonder if they'd know I was protesting against Vietnam here in 1963. <laughs> and he, um, it's the the book um, I picked up by chance and then couldn't put it down. Um, as you say, you don't. It's brutal. It's not a bitchy book, but it's a brutally honest book. Yeah, yeah. And how, when you're considering doing that and putting it forward, do you think, well, you know, I might have to work with some of these people again? Well, you see, you're 74. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> no, and and I, you see, I couldn't really tell him. I, I, early on, Francis Barber said, "I'm keeping a diary of this," and I said, "Yeah, I, I, I think I." Uh, you see. And it came about because we started rehearsing on the 1st of January and we knew it was going to go around the world and we knew these, it was all planned. And somebody said to me, why don't you keep a diary? And I thought, well, 
So I started, you know, I, I thought I'd finish after about a couple of weeks. But then I used to send it out to people, you know, about five or six people on, as you can do now online, it's so easy. And they all became hooked on it. So, so, I, so I kept doing it. But I, I didn't want to tell everybody I was doing it because it would completely defeat the mm-hmm. whole object of, the, of, of it. But, um, uh, but I, I, there was things I, I didn't say. Of course, there was, I, I could have said a lot more than I did. <laughs> but I, did, you know, I didn't, you know, for, just to save people's reputations and things. Save people's marriages. Marriages, <laughs> yes, yes. No, 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 no. It's, well, it's a, it's a great... And you're working on another one. You, you have, I'm, I'm two. I, I've, got, I've got this novel coming out now about the further adventures of the Artful Dodger, which is coming out very soon. And, and this other one I'm doing now is... Um, is one is a sort of sort of it's called covering Shakespeare and it's um, based on my experiences in the twenty nine Shakespeare plays. Some of them I've been in four or five times. You see, different phases of my career. So yeah, I don't know whether, wh- whether it will be successful or not, but it keep, keeps an old man busy. And had you harboured harboured ambitions to write? No, not really. I mean, I, I dabbled in writing over the years, but I'd never had anything published. And uh, no. Uh, no, but I, but I, 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 I enjoy it more and more now. And you say you've been in 20, 29 of the plays. Um, are, there, are, there, are there parts that you um, covered that you still think no, you've got in? No, no, the only part I wanted to play was Claudius. You know? I, I played Laertes to Richard Chamberlain. I played Horatio to Michael York. But I, I always fancied playing Claudius. I never did. But then my, I, I, my, my two favourite... I mean, I, I played Falstaff, you see, in all the three Shakespeare plays. I also did this one-man show of Falstaff, which uh, I did over 120 times, based on this wonderful novel by Robert Nye. Did it in all over, you know, the Edinburgh Festival, in other place, Cottesloe. Went to America a couple of times. Um, but that, that Falstaff was my favourite part, with Mark Antony and Julius Caesar. I've done Mark Antony and Julius Caesar and Mark Antony and Antony and Cleopatra. Antony and, Antony and Cleopatra is a f***ing awful... It's, um, it's, it's, it's a, not a good part. But Antony and Julius Caesar is a fantastic part. Wonderful part. And you did... I mean, you did you did that at the National Youth Theatre, didn't you, Mark yeah, Antony? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're saying you don't have um, unfulfilled ambitions, but are you somebody that... Um, Need to act. Will you keep on doing it? it, it yes. I, I, if people ask me to do, like I, mean, I did, I, I did a very nice play at the, um, the Trevor Griffiths play at the at the, at the Finborough last year. But I, I, I'm no longer running after things, looking for things. If things come along, and I don't want to leave London anymore. I don't want to go, you know, long long tours anymore. If something comes along which I, 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 I'd like to do, I'd do it. But I'm, I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not desperate anymore. You see, I made a, a conscious decision. I suppose about 25 years longer ago that I wanted to stay an actor and so I, I, I so, so many of my friends said oh I wouldn't do that part oh I wouldn't do that but it's not good enough it's not good enough and they, and they, they dropped away and they went I don't know what, I mean, they, they just left the business but I decided I'd stay and I, and I, and I did small parts and, and small parts and understudies I, I never wanted I would never be a walking understudy which is terrible. You're outside. As long as you're playing in the play, mm-hmm. you're. Um, I, I, you, like when I, when I covered Ian, I was the gentleman. Well, the gentleman's got 60, 62 lines, and I was on stage nearly all the time Ian was on. So you, I was part of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, in fact, 
the, the Rosencrantz has only got 30 lines. But it was, oh, Rosencrantz. But, 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 but the gentleman in Lear, if he was called, um, like, Suffolk or something. Yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> but um, I, I've had, um, in the, in the, in the mid-80s, mid mid, no, mid-90s, um, I was asked to go to Chichester to play in Love for Lover. And it was a nice part, but from the lawyer. And um, then after a couple of days re- rehearsal, the, De- Derek Jacobi, I've known for years, I was in the National Youth Theatre with him, was playing Tattle. And they said, would you mind if we paid you extra cover? You've got nobody covered. Derek. Derek said, don't worry, love, I'm never off. So I did it, and I was concentrating on my own part. I was watching Derek. Anyway, we went to Chichester, and it was a, we did two, two previews, and the, the gala opened was on the Saturday night. And I came in for the, preceded by a matinee. I came in for the matinee and said, thank God you're here. Derek's got appendicitis. We've cancelled the matinee. You're on. Now, the director is known in the profession as the Poison Dwarf. I won't give his name. <laughs> but, but I never saw him. He, he, went, he went and spent the whole afternoon rehearsing the pretty young lad that was understudying me. And I spent the afternoon with um, David Grinling, who's gone on to be a very successful director now. He was the assistant, trying to cram all this stuff in my head. And I'm sitting there waiting to go on on the first night. And over the tannoy, I hear, I've got, I've got Jack costume. It doesn't fit this wig on my head. It wasn't my part tattle anyway. And I hear over the tannoy, the poison dwarf saying, ladies and gentlemen, Tonight we've been deprived of the genius of Sir Derek Jacobi. However, he's only a mile away in the local hospital. He's promised to stay awake until 8 o'clock and say a prayer for us. This is a wonderful play. The rest of the cast are very good. The part of Tattle will be played by David Weston. That's, that's, all, that's all he said. And I was so furious, I went on. I, my first entrance was slide, enter, sliding down a drain pipe, which I'd never rehearsed, but I did it and I got around. Anyway, to cut a long story short, I ended playing it for the entire run. Derek never came back, and I never saw the Poison Dwarf until the last night when he came on my, into my dressing room and said, I'm told I should thank you. Oh, my goodness me. He's, he, he, uh, he, after that, he did something at the RSC, and, and the cast did a round robin refusing to work with him. Anyway. No. Oh, but, well, on, on a better note, then, mm. you've worked with McKellen, who comes out of your book mm. uh, marvellously. Mm-hmm. Ian McKellen is best known to listeners of this podcast as the voice of the great intelligence in the Doctor Who Christmas special. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and you've, so who have been the, who are the actors whose performances have really stood out for you? You see, people ask, the greatest actor I've ever worked with was Richard Burton. I don't think he fulfilled it all, but potentially he was, he was absolutely fantastic. He had the presence and the voice. It's particularly in the morning, he wants to go after lunch. But he, 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 I thought he, he was a king, a king among actors. I, I've worked with um, Anthony Quayle, was a wonderful old actor. I liked Anthony Quayle, Ian Richardson, Ian Holm. But Burton was my favourite. And getting this from your book, you are great friends with Julian Fellows. Yes, so yes. why on earth haven't you been in Downton Abbey? You ask me. <laughs> uh, um, he, he, he did try to get me in one I, I was going to be the in the first series I was going to be the butler's friend and his ex-musical partner oh yes and I went along for that and uh, they thought I was too old oh. <laughs> and so Nicky Henson Nicky Henson is a wonderful actor yeah um, no um, but you uh, I, I don't know I mean I asked Julian Fellows we were still very good friends I was only speaking to him the other, the other day but um, no uh, he, uh, he's, he, uh, 
got me into his uh, the Julian Fellows Presents thing. I was in that murder thing he did, and a couple of times when he was he did um, Prince of the Pauper. He asked me to be in that, but I couldn't because something else came along. No, he said, I don't think he, he, I don't think he questions my talent. I don't think he's, <laughs> I think he's so busy, he's got so much on his head. And as you say, you've done, you've done it all, and you've done it hefty stints in all film, theatre, television. Do you have a favourite? No, theatre. I like the theatre best. Uh, you see, uh, I like the theatre best, being in a company and, and that wonderful feeling. That's why I was in that Lear thing was so disappointing, because towards the end it all fell apart. And, and I think being in, in that's why I started the National Youth Theatre it was being in a team everybody works together for one aim and you, you, it's like being in a wonderful football team we're all together and that marvellous feeling each night you go into the theatre and your friends are there you make the jokes that's the little cocoon you're, you're safe from the outside world and, it's the, the, and that's the thematically of the book that's a fascinating thing that the delineation is about the young and the old, and the old, like the play, which is what the play is. Mm, yes, mm, mm, so that mm. when, when that started to happen, half part of you must have thought this could be great for the book. Yes, yes. And so it just remains for me to ask. Thank you, because we've done our half now. Thank you for your time uh, to ask the two um, questions. One is that um, I'm going to ask you to nominate a charity that the listeners can donate to. Well, yes, um, one of my, my younger son suffers slightly from the Crohn's disease. Yes. The, I can't really score, but it's the, it's the Crohn's disease. Uh, I'll point them to the website. Yeah, what yeah, I do yeah, is yeah, I'll look yeah, it up yeah, and yeah, add yeah, it yeah, in my yeah, addendum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> the other question is that Doctor Who is 50 years old this year. Mm-hmm. It started on the 23rd of November 1963, the day after Kennedy's assassination, and is still being watched all this time later. Do you have a message for the Doctor Who fans who are listening to this podcast, and do you understand why it is still, why it is still here? No, I don't. I don't understand why it's still here. Um, I'm, I'm very relieved and grateful it's here. Um, as I said, and you know, if ever, whenever I've toured a play around the countryside, as long as you if ever, you know, and the, the actors' biographies in the program, if you mention Doctor Who, every night there's always somebody at the stage door. With something to sign. It's amazing. It's amazing, isn't it? Staying power. Oh, which reminds me of a story you told me before we started was that you knew at the dawn of Doctor Who mm. William Russell. Yeah, William Russell came to my house one night, my flat one night in, in Kensington. This is in, in the in the earliest. In, in, it must be 1962, 63. Because he, I knew William Russell because he'd been at Oxford with Michael Croft. You see, that's how I knew him. And he said, I've got this fantastic job. He said, this is going to go on forever. I'm playing this chap and this... And, and, and we go back in space, anywhere in space, or back in history. I can... Endless possibilities. They're never going to run out of stories. And, of course, that, well, that was Doctor Who. And he was right. He was right. He only did two seasons. Yeah, he did two years. Be, two before years. that, he'd been Sir Lancelot, mm. you know. But he, was, he always wanted to be... I you know, actors always want what they haven't got. And he, he wanted to be a classical actor, I think. And... I think that's why he left Doctor Who. Well, and, and he did stints with the RSC. Yes, he did stints, but he never really fulfilled it, so... I don't think so many, so few of us do. Hmm. Well, on that note, um, thank you for helping me fulfil this um, uh, podcast that I'm doing. And sort of what I say now is David Weston, thank you for your time. Pleasure. David, his charity is in aid of Crohn's disease. So go now to www.nacc.org.uk and punt a quid or two. Alternatively, do nothing. Um, but I'd, I'd rather you didn't. 
He's uh, another scalp claimed for me, uh, David, by Lisa Bowerman, who must surely own a share of this podcast by now. So um, she's a negative equity. <laughs> Next time I'll be talking uh, The Bill, Band of Brothers, and a Doctor Who story that sadly doesn't begin with B and so destroys any chance of finishing this blurb on on an alliterative note now the rest of the climax of this episode is so appalling it will be represented only by ancient woodcuts and the screams of the dying after the usual plugs for feedback uh, podcast at bigfinish.com and twitterishness uh, which is at you know atty thing big finish all one word or at toby haydock all one word h-a-d-o-k-e is the tough bit bye Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Doctor Who, The Lost Stories, The Dark Planet. Welcome to our city. Welcome to the city of the light. Relighting a sun? Isn't that uh, rather ambitious? My ambition is not your worry. That is why it must be guarded from the shadows. They are base creatures. They will be no more when Numia sees its eternal dawn. Deep underground, beneath the traveller's feet, below the surface of the planet, something felt their presence. The rock cemented in his grasp. Vicky, come away! Where are you? I... I can't find you. They burn all who are unlike them. Then we've got to get in there. Can you help us? (laughs) 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 (laughs)